Hey, thanks for picking us up. Who are we? We're the Pod Boys. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and I'm just along for the ride, baby. I'm the rider in the storm, Ben Sheets. And I need to get off this plane. I'm Cleveland Mosher. <laughs> plane? I don't know. I had the wrong nothing. movie there. You, but. You, you started the intro, and I realized I didn't have... <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't prepare at all, and... Uh, so I went for surreal, didn't land. Going full Air Force One here. Mm-hmm. Well, we're not covering Air Force One today. Nope. We're not covering Air Force One. <laughs> as we much are, as I've misled you. <laughs> we are covering a movie about transit, though. We're going to be talking about The Hitcher. However, before we do, last week, Cleveland, you made a prediction that people were not going to like It Chapter 2. I did, and I haven't looked at any media on it since. Well... I'll tell you that you were right, but definitely not for the reason that you thought you were. (laughs) Oh, yeah? (laughs) People don't like it, Chapter 2, but it's because Pennywise is canceled. Okay, I saw a meme of that. That's not what actual... Of course it is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's oh real. Not God. an ally, Cleveland. He's he's a horrifying <laughs> monster who feeds on your fear. And, yeah, what? but so, he hates the gays, too. What? And well, yeah, he hates, he hates humans. Unlike what? our friend, the Babadook, who is a powerful gay icon and ally. I mean, very true. It seems like Pennywise, not so much of an ally. People thought that the astral horror that takes the shape of a monstrous clown... Yeah, that that rips children apart. ...that devours children to feast on their fear was a little (laughs) bit too homophobic at a couple of times in the movie. Um, what? And so Pennywise is canceled, and It Chapter 2 is officially a bad movie. Wow. Man. No matter what our ratings said or anybody else's or anybody's opinion, this is a bad movie now because it's it's the most homophobic movie of 2019. As a person who identifies as queer, I would have to say that I am personally deeply offended by them being deeply offended and they can go like... I don't care what they do. I have not delved too deeply into this madness for fear of losing my mind. Yeah, I truly love Craftian. But I I would very strongly doubt that it's the actual LGBT community that that thinks Pennywise is homophobic. It's almost like like every subset and group of people has fucking batshit people in it. Crazy, right? uh, What a thought. The whole story stems from an article that came out last week that was like, Pennywise isn't the ally we thought him to be. And so what do you mean? And I read clips. Uh, I read bits and pieces of the article. I didn't have the mental stamina to read it all. Why did you think but, that the Eater of Worlds oh, was going to be an ally? Oh, man, it's maybe one of the most boneheaded articles I've read this year. It's, it's, it's got to be clickbait. special. I mean, it's, it's certainly clickbait, but that doesn't mean that it's not some fucking idiot's actual opinion. Sincere opinion, yeah. Right. That's got to be very small group of it would be dipshits. it would be one thing if it was like one of the protagonists that said or did something homophobic but the i mean mon- even then the like, monster you can have homophobic characters in a movie right but the monster the one that eats children hey. i need to reiterate that that eats children yeah what the fuck hey i will say the jaw shark not homophobic at all that's true that's true. The shark from Jaws, not canceled, still an ally. <laughs> yep. And, uh, of course, the Babadook, obviously. Yeah, still. yeah. The only ally you need. The, the greatest gay horror icon. You know, you know what? I think, I bet that this is sort of stemming from some of the people who, uh, when It Chapter 1 came out, I was seeing a lot of uh, just fucking absolute cretins on the internet being like, Pennywise, his design is so cute. He's probably boyfriends with the Babadook. Did y'all see I, I'd that ship at that. all? Like that was I'd that was a it. thing that was happening for maybe, a while. Maybe, maybe like. And then this movie comes along, and Pennywise mocks Richie for being in the closet, and now no more. Hey man, you know what? My new fan theory is that Pennywise is acting so homophobic because he's a closeted gay. And uh, I still ship it. My stance on this all is if you think Pennywise is attractive, you shouldn't be allowed anywhere near children. 
You definitely shouldn't. That's just a, uh, <laughs> yeah. a little update it's on true. last week. Thought that, would, thought that would be a, a fun way to start the show. But now let's get down to it's business because this is America's number one business podcast. Business. Which is why we have so many sponsors and we are so wealthy. Oh, yeah. So our business for this week is The Hitcher from 1986, directed by Robert Harmon, starring Rutger Hauer, C. Thomas Howell, and Jennifer Jason Leigh in which a young man driving cross-country engages in a deadly game of cat and mouse with a psychopathic hitchhiker that sees him framed for the man's crimes. You know, I spent this whole movie just waiting for Sean Beam to show up, and he never did. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just disappointed, you know, frankly, by that. This wasn't the hitcher that I thought it was. Yeah, who, who's Rutger Hauer? What, what is this? It's like the movie picked up the wrong hitchhiker. It's like, it's like, it's not in black and white, but it was an old movie. I, I didn't, I don't know why we watched it. That's not worth our time, right? We're, we're, out, we're a current podcast. It came out before I was born, so I'm not interested in seeing it. Exactly, you understand. Yeah, I no, totally, I get yeah, it. Yeah, Ben, why did you make us watch this movie? Yeah, seriously, <laughs> this, this like old white guy trash, like come. Odd, man. You know, this is exactly what Ebert and Siskel said on More their old show. white guys. It's yeah. All awful right. nihilistic trash, you know? Yeah. Nobody should support it. Nobody should support it. And I certainly don't support it. Yeah, no. The Hitcher is also canceled. Yep. We're getting it all out of the way in this podcast. We're canceling everybody. All jokes aside, I very much love this movie. This was my pick, and I was very excited to watch it again. I think it's an underrated horror film, an underrated slasher film, and an underrated Rutger Hauer film. After watching it for the first time with you guys, I wholeheartedly agree. I am simply staggered that I have not been forced to watch this movie before now. I feel a little cheated that I hadn't seen this film before. It It's a goddamned masterpiece, and it's delightful. Well, one of the big things is it just hasn't gotten a great release. Like, it's come out on DVD, I think. Yeah. But it's hard to find a really high-quality copy. I think... We uh, had to get the Blu-ray version from, like, Germany or yeah, something, Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, it's on YouTube, it. actually. I, I was looking for clips earlier today to refresh myself, and the full movie is on YouTube. It's not the highest quality, but... Oh, really? Definitely check it out on there. But yeah, I think this movie is really, like, the gold standard of the cat and mouse subgenre in yeah. a lot of ways. Uh, Man-hunting man... Uh, world's most dangerous game type of thing. And I think Riker Hauer in particular just brings it all home. Oh, He's so good. He's delicious. Like, just all of his little facial tics and, and things. He just... Mm, just the right amount of ham. Like, I mean, ham, ham's the wrong word, because it's it's so theatrical. Like, Yeah, well, he's got... Yeah, his, his presence is just he's mesmerizing. He's got, like, un, unparalleled charisma. He's he's fantastic in Blade Runner. He makes that movie for me in most respects. But this is my favorite Rutger Hauer performance in, in The Hitcher. I just think that he is so, so creepy and intense. I love that they almost play him as like a supernatural force well that's the thing as because he's just all he just as, always as shows a human up. being he's not a super believable character but once you realize he's almost the devil incarnate right you know just appearing to taunt our main character and just ruin every situation yeah literally satan um Right, that's the it thing. Like, this becomes more interesting. This movie is a lot more surreal than you would expect from its premise. It's a road movie in the loosest sense, but like, it really becomes sort of like a, a Moby Dick kind of thing where these two people, C. Thomas Howell and Rutger Hauer, are just like completely obsessed upon each other's destruction to the extent that they don't give a shit about anything else and that, like, everything else is kind of incidental. And I love the way that that builds up, too, yeah. for C. Thomas Howell, because he doesn't start that way. There's there's very much a, an upward arc. For a lot of the movie, he's just trying to get away, and Rutger Hauer just keeps showing up no matter how far he goes, you know? Well, that's the interesting thing. In a lot of movies of this ilk, uh, for example, like Steven Spielberg's Duel... Or uh, the movie Joyride that came out in the 2000s. Mm -hmm. There's a distance between the main characters and the antagonist. Whether it's, 
you know, not seeing him much at all in the movie or being disconnected through, like, radio or something or other. With this movie, you see Rutger Hauer's character throughout the movie. And he makes his presence, movie. No- yeah. presence known so regularly. Yeah, and you yeah. see him throughout. And it's and from it, the very beginning of the film, it's too. It's something where, in a lesser movie, it would be ridiculous. But because Rutger Hauer gives such a killer performance, it really works. Just the strength of the, the structure of the film and how it keeps pushing the narrative to such extremes. You just kind of throw believability out the window at a certain point. The escalation in this movie is is insane. Oh, yeah. It's it's out of this fucking world. I was not expecting it to get that high octane by the end. I had no idea. I, I thought I thought I was like going to be watching like a highway thriller film for the, the entirety of the movie, and it was going to be more cerebral. Boy, was I wrong, and, and there's very a, happily there's wrong. There's a lot of, like, flipping cars and blowing cars oh, yeah, and it's shit like that. Like shooting the, a helicopter out of the sky. Out of the sky. The Bru- framing- yeah, Brunkerhauer shoots a helicopter down with a revolver, and it's awesome. While driving. If it wasn't for the context of the events and the way that they're um, emotionally framed... This movie would feel like a 70s era, like Eastwood Western. It has those like big Monument Valley kind of backdrops. It's mm-hmm. it must be shot in like either like New Mexico or Nevada or anywhere in Probably. that you know, region. It takes of the place States. in Texas, but it could be literally yeah. anywhere. And he's trying in the to get desert. to California. Yeah. yeah. From um, from Chicago, which I didn't it, think it probably is likely go Texas. All the way down to Texas. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, the film for sure takes place in Texas, but I don't know if they shot on location. Yeah, well, could I, have shot anywhere in the Southwest. Very true. Desert is the same. Yeah, but point point being is it looks like a western it does not feel like a western the score helps with that tremendously yeah yeah i score so quintessentially i had actually forgotten the score since the last time i i saw this movie it's very ethereal light heavy ghostly synths that just sort of brings this contemplative mood to it like it's i i find it very moody and the cinematography is pretty good too Mm -hmm. well going back to the score i listen to a lot of like new retro wave and a lot of like synth artists current artists who who pull from like 80s aesthetics and you can always pick up like the john carpenter influences and you know uh georgia Moroder and etc but watching this movie uh made me realize like how influential it was as well i was picking up like certain melodic you know elements and and specific sounds that i've heard repeated so many times and just didn't realize their influence Fucking awesome it's, score, 10 out of 10. The weird that. thing about The Hitcher is that for as violent and high-octane it is for, like, a movie with a man shooting a helicopter out of the sky and two police cars flipping simultaneously and exploding, a lot of The Hitcher feels, to me, like an art house film. Well, I think part of the reason it feels that way is because Rutger Hauer's character is very not human. Yeah, he just, like, appears places mm-hmm. where it's like... How the fuck did he get there? How oh. the fuck did he know C. Thomas Howell is there? But it's more like the he, realism of this movie yeah. is paper thin across the it's, board, it's whether dreamlike. it comes to the motivations of the main character or exactly like how Rucker Howard can plan out some of these like wily coyote level traps for our main character. It's not feasible. But who gives a shit? It's the 80s. Like, we're watching, like, a highway killer film. Like, I could give a fuck about realism. And, like, the scene where he's, like, with Jen- Jennifer Jason Lee in the motel room and he goes to take a shower and it cuts back to the bedroom and Rutger Hauer's just in the bedroom. Yeah, my dude just teleported. Like, he didn't come in through the door, which has the chain across it. Like, he's been in the motel room the entire time. Guess like, so. Yeah. He maybe, my- he, he's just so smart. He knew which room they were going to pick out and waited for them minute before they even got there but but the thing is like by that point he's already sort of like been characterized as a more than human character oh yeah he's a phantasm at that point i don't give a shit it's like the first couple times like how the fuck like the second time he sees him when he goes to like the abandoned gas station and he's looking around and Rutger Hauer's just there. Yeah, like uh, when that happened and for several sequences after, I was thinking to myself, well, his presence hasn't been validated by anyone else. God, they're probably going to go this route. He's probably going to be like a, a fucking figment of his imagination. He's actually the killer himself and he's snapped, you know, like a fight club kind of situation or something. And I was just waiting for that to be the case. And then Thank God it's about halfway or two thirds through, through the film, like, 
uh, Rutger Hauer's uh, presence is validated next to see Thomas Howell. And so they made that clear for right. me. And I, I really appreciated that because I was thinking like, oh, you know, like it would explain all of his phantasm appearances, but I, it would not have been gratifying. Like no. I didn't I didn't want that explained. I, I just wanted the action. I wanted the suspense and thrills and chills and fun. It's so dreamlike in other ways, too, that it doesn't need that sense of hard realism. You just not buy wanted. it, you know, it's, it's not, especially because in like this setting in the desert, which which is so empty and barren, it does sort of feel like these two isolated individuals sort of like hurtling through space and just like running into anything that they come into contact with, which is their their interactions with other people. Well, that's the thing too, because there's so many instances in the film where Rutger Hauer could easily kill see thomas howell but he doesn't oh no right. he wants to keep it's, it's, it's most about, of the movie it it he you can tell that his character gets a thrill of the hunt when you bring the idea of it being like evil incarnate or the devil it, it makes more sense because he could have easily killed see thomas howell let's let's get into that because i think that is what makes Rutger Hauer such an interesting character in this movie is his motivation and his sort of like self-destructiveness and his death drive literally well yeah <laughs> pun intended <laughs> I, the opening scene of the movie is see Thomas Howell picking him up uh in the in a rainstorm and I, I love that his first line when he opens the door is like my mom told me never to do this and it's like boy if you only knew <laughs> um <laughs> But just like immediately within the first five minutes of the movie, Rutger Hauer has a, a knife to see Thomas Howell's throat. And he's like, yeah, that that car that you saw pulled off the road, like I I killed the guy who was driving it and I cut off his arms and legs and his head and I'm going to do the same to you. I want you to say something. And at that moment, I whispered under breath, I was just like, I want to die. Like he said, I want, I want you to say four words. Yeah, I want you to say four words. And I was just like, oh, he wants him to like say like, I want to die. And then like the next words, like Rucker Howard was, I want to die. And I'm like, yes, like, yes, that's what I wanted. Like, well, it's so excellent. And like, it's like sociopathy 101. Like, it's great. And, and the thing is, C. Thomas Howell doesn't want to say that because he knows it's obviously a trick. If he says it, then Rutger Howard's just going to kill him. And it's that moment that he notices the light on the dashboard indicating that the passenger door is not all the way closed. And so uh, he screams, like, I want to live. And he, like, yeah, shoves, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, fuck you. And shoves Rutger Hauer out the door. So within the first 10 minutes of the movie, our main character has already been captured by the antagonist and gotten away from him. Yeah. And it's like the first time I saw them, like, where the fuck does it go from here? Yeah. Like, you know, but it's like that moment where C. Thomas Howell showed a desire to live that clicks something in Rutger Hauer where he wants to, like, test that see how far he can go because like you said ben pretty much every time he shows up in the movie he could very easily kill c Thomas well that's Howell. that's yeah. the interesting thing because it's structured in such a way that it feels like he's toying with c thomas howell throughout yeah. the movie and i think that is a great way to keep rutger hauer feeling threatening without you know just right. immediately killing off our main character well and it's and it also serves to like really rapidly degrade c thomas howell's like sanity and will because he realizes that rutger hauer could kill him at any time yeah. and the fact that he keeps showing up is like is this the time he's gonna kill me no it's not it just drives him insane and it pushes him to a breaking point exactly like Rutger Hauer wants and at a certain point he's just like fuck this you're fucking with me you're gonna kill me no I'm gonna kill you and then it's like even even after the point where like the police capture Rutger Hauer and like see Thomas Howell is safe it's like no that's not good enough anymore like it's not good enough that he's just locked up like, I'm going to fucking kill this guy. And he also knows it's like, the laws of physics do not apply to him. Right. He needs yeah. to die. Locking He's going to get out. will do no good. Yeah, right. and I, I love that. He probably got captured because he wanted to, you mm. know? like And he did, as we find out. But, no, I, I loved that. And, uh, too, unlike most of those, like, cat and mouse situations, you don't feel at any point 
any ease for C. Thomas Howell because of the way he's being toyed with. You get the vibe that he's toying with him for his own amusement, and he wouldn't really care if he died. The hurdles that he throws in front of C. Thomas Howell are all lethal, and they all feel lethal. Like, right, it's and, not like he's he's yeah. not necessarily pulling his pun. I mean, a few times he does straight up just leave when he could have killed like in the diner Rutger Howard just comes in and sits down across from him just like you know one of my favorite awesome scenes in the scene film. and see Thomas Howell has a gun on him under the table and Rutger Howard's like that gun's not loaded like you didn't even check and then it he does a, a fake gun a finger gun the, yeah under the table and makes a loud noise by hitting the table freaking see thomas howell out enough the clicking yeah Yeah. and then just like the look on his face and the look on rutger hauer's face like that is that is a really really incredible scene while i agree with you that i don't think rutger hauer would be upset if c thomas howell died i kind of think that he is really doing the things he's doing to like guide c thomas howell to the ultimate conclusion of killing him yes because oh he, yeah no no uh he, he absolutely is but uh the beauty of it is he does it in like if we were to look at him as like some sort of particularly fucked up mentor he's right. using a sink or swim method <laughs> like, it, well, exactly. if he can't kill him he doesn't or if 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 he dies from any of the things that he throws at him he doesn't deserve to kill him by by the by the end of the movie i get the distinct impression that Rutger Hauer has just sort of been drifting and trying to motivate people to kill him. Yes. But in such a way that if they don't have what it takes, like he just kills them, you know, that he's just doing this until he meets the person who finally has the balls to do it. Oh, yeah. Like like so many like sociopathic serial killers on their last bender. Right. right, Exactly. Suicide by cop kind of thing. Bingo. It's just in this case, it's it's suicide by by like pedestrian and right, like, I, that, can ooh, I, it's so good can i torment this this poor kid into just completely breaking because i mean at the end Riker howard does let see thomas howell kill him yes he obviously has that self-destructive desire and it's just like at that point what has he made with his death you know like Another monster. Another monster. Yeah. I love that. I love Mm -hmm. it. The the problems that I had while watching the film were all relatively mitigated by the end for for the reasons I've explained. Like, I'm not I wasn't going into this film looking for realism. But while watching the movie, I had a couple of issues with like uh, with C. Thomas Howell with our protagonist and like his interactions like with the cops. I was very caught off guard when he he first takes the two police officers hostage. He could have talked his way out of that. He could have, you know, had a dialogue with them like he was in a position where he was able to and he wasn't going to get shot or whatever else. But that's just because like his character had that the realization of what he wanted before I I realized that's that's the direction he was going down. I think C. Thomas Howell does make some stupid decisions in this movie, but it feels real because... I think they're believable. Yeah, they're believable decisions. Because he feels... He's running on little sleep. He's 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 fraying. He's he's fraying until he finally breaks. And, I mean, you're definitely not thinking clearly in situations like that, Mm -hmm. especially once Rutger Hauer starts going out of his way to frame C. Thomas Howell for his crimes to, like, purposely get the police on him. Then at that point, it's like he's completely alone. He has no help. The the cops are after him, and this psychopath is after him. Well, especially after some cops start dying, because these are fucking texas cops right small town texas you know they will kill you revenge i love i love that i love that scene where the cops catch up to him on like the greyhound bus and one of the cops who took him in in the first place is there and he thinks that c thomas howell killed the other guys at the station and he's got his gun on him and he's like you spit on my wrist wipe it off saying to the other police officer yeah to make it look like he spat on his wrist well, no, the, he's no, trying he's, to make him grab, he's go trying for his to, gun yeah, so he can say, say oh, wipe he tried the spit to off my wrist. My he's trying to make C. Thomas Howell reach for it so he can justify shooting him, saying he was going for my gun. Yeah, mm-hmm. because you have the whole bus of onlookers. Right. And 
how do you justify shooting someone with no preemptive if they're right if they're going if they're going for your gun the place yeah. near your gun that scene is so tense too because see oh, yeah. you see thomas howell realizes it like he knows what is uh being set up here and like uh he ends up being saved by jennifer jason lee who we haven't mentioned yet i have somewhat mixed feelings about her character i think she plays the the character well that's the thing. I don't think she's the most fleshed out character, but no, I think Jennifer Jason Lee does a pretty good job. She does. I had no problems. She feels a little more helpless than I would like at times. Yeah, like when it, when it comes to having like helpless heroines in a movie, I can be kind of give or take, but I, I felt that kind of person does exist. Sure. I think for every person like that who exists, there there are plenty of, like, strong women. Not, I don't think, like, it represents anything necessarily. Not to say that she that she's not strong, though, because she does... No, go, she's very, she, yeah. She does go out of her way to, like, put her own safety on the line to, like, help see Thomas Howell. Which is one of the reasons Wait, I even feel comfortable saying a, that last thing, who is too. A stra- yeah. Like, who's really a stranger. I don't like that they kind of imply that she's doing it because she's got, like, a thing for him. Yeah. They never, like, go outright and say that, but it does It does sort of have that implication. I think that's why they get away with it. If they'd made that, like, well, it's what, it's apparent what, in the dialogue, it would have been, it would have been, like, eye-rolling and unfortunate. But, like, he's a you know he's kind of greased up he's wearing a leather jacket he comes into the diner it's like he's just you know going from one town to the next he's he's in a bad situation right now like she's kind of primed up to have stars in her eyes a little bit like i can uh, i i get it like the, the sure. one time in the movie i thought that actually worked to its benefit was the hotel scene he's taking a shower and she's in the bed falling asleep and rucker howard gets into the bed with her Oh, yeah. uh, and at first he puts his arm on her and she uh, kind of looks comfortable and then she quickly look uh, realizes what's going on right. and, and also sour and I don't think that would really work if there wasn't kind if of there a wasn't, romantic undertone. Sure, sure. And, and not only that, but in the sequence before our protagonist gets in the shower, he asks her if she's awake. Because they're, like, lying next to each other on this bed. They've both been through, like, they you know, like, hell and back at this point. Yeah, this and is he asks her, the, like, hey, cop car are chase. you awake? And, like, you know, he's he's asking her for, for several reasons. And she lies there facing away from him but we can see like that her eyes are open. Right. And she doesn't she doesn't respond and lets him think that sh- she's sleeping. And I and I feel like if if she had been like mega head over heels or whatever else and if it had been played too far, oh, she would have put a sex scene there. Right. And the fact that they didn't is what really saves yes, it. Like that's a huge saving grace. I agree, with you. I agree grace. with you. Like well like you said it's like it's subtle enough. They they don't go too far with it that it's not like a problem. It's the kind of thing where I'm kind of like uh, I don't know if I really like it, but I think, it's the best way they could have done that. Yeah, absolutely. If they have to. And and so I don't yeah. hate it. And it's it's ultimately such a small part of the movie. And I mean, I guess it does do something to sort of build up to her death, which is pretty horrible. We don't see it, but you don't need to. It's worse well, that we yeah. don't. They leave it to the imagination. Right, yeah. And you know? it would have been, I think and, in that scenario, it would have been gratuitous if they had And I do it. appreciate this film a lot of times doesn't Ugh. pull punches and just shows totally. the carnage that ensues during their journey. It does one time they, do, they should they do, pull their punch. They do and, pull yeah. their punches a few times, and I think every time they do it, it works to its benefit. And, like, for example, the other time they really do that is the first time... See Thomas Howell is taken to the police station, and he's in a cell, and all the police officers are killed. Oh, right. Uh, you know, and you see the aftermath of it. Yeah. Well, it, I love the way they play that, too. We see him in a cell, and he has a dream, and he wakes up, and he goes to, like, lean on the bars, and the door swings open. And then to have him go out into the uh, station and just, like, see the cops dead. And he sees the, the fucking police dog. police dog eating one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, that that seems great, especially because like the cops then show up again right away. Yeah, uh, and it's like, yeah, dude, there's you you could have talked your way out of it before. Like the chief when they took you in, he was like, yeah, this boy's not a killer. I can tell. 
He, he even told the other guys that. And it's like, well, nah, there's no way you're getting out of this one. Which that's like the real turning. I want to I want to hone in on too is as much as the cops in the Hitcher are hyperbolized as like Texas cops. They're portrayed very neutrally. In this movie, for as many times as the cops get killed, as many times as they chase our protagonist. Well, no, they're never they're, the villain. Exactly. And no, I no, loved no, that. Sure. I loved that. And to your other point, I honestly don't even think they're that hyperbolic. I think they're believable for, like, small town southern cops. Yeah, and the thing is, like, even when they do have what you could call bad acts, like, for example, like the, the spitting on the wrist thing, in comparison to Rutger Hauer... They're not evil. Well, right. And that's the thing. You, like, under, you understand that, like, even though what he's doing is a bad is a bad thing and, like, is, is sort of despicable, mm-hmm. from his perspective, he thinks that this person violently murdered his friends and co-workers. Mm-hmm. While it's still, like, not a good thing that he's doing, it's not justifiable, it's believable and it's not villainous. Yeah. Now, I, the, the hyperbolic part comes in, like, right after the two make their escape. And they're driving down the road. And, like, the, the helicopter comes after them and the other police police cars. And they start, like, firing machine guns at them while she's still in the car. And she hasn't done anything. Like, well, that, I, okay. That, yeah, that, that's, that, that's, that's hyperbolic. Like, and that's all I meant. But I, mean, I do agree that, that like, largely well, no, they're no, no, the no, British she, neutral she characters. Has, she has done something, though. She's the one who helped him escape. The reason he didn't get shot was because she came off the Which bus. isn't cause to shoot it, fire at them with a machine or at she her with a, a machine gun. Yeah, she, 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 she pointed a gun at a cop. She pointed a gun at the cop. I'm not saying that it's not a little bit overdramatic, like it's a little bit overreaction, but it's still believable. She's aiding this person who they believe is a serial killer, and she pointed a gun at a cop, and these cops were close with the people who were murdered. So at that point, I would I would believe that they would fucking give him everything they had. I don't think it's the right thing for the cops to do, obviously, but uh, right. I love how they build up to that scene where they've taken the cop car, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee and C. Thomas Howell, and they see the other two coming up on the horizon behind them. And she's trying to, like, talk to them through the radio, be like, we're turning ourselves in, we're going to the, to talk to the, the police chief or whatever, we're driving to the station. She keeps saying that, and they're just ignoring her. Right! Which is like, there's, like, there's no going back for them. They're yeah. fully hell-bent on killing these people right like southern that's, retribution man yeah the fucking, that's all it is like well i i, I think I, it's a it's a th- it's a fucking thing in the south it's not yeah it's well, not a good thing i think i think it is prevalent in the south i think i think it's prevalent everywhere i will i will say that like like the nypd has you know like oh, a sure. reputation for that as well and there's you know like any militarized force is gonna be like that universally I mean, yeah I'm, sure but beyond I mean, that i'm not gonna i'm I mean, not gonna defend yeah, the south the, jesus it's, christ it's no a, it's but. a classic <laughs> stereotype yes it you is know? yeah so cops like this well and especially like like you said like it is understandable if they think he's a serial killer right. slash cop killer who's killed their friends yeah. and fellow servicemen you it's know? believable it's maybe not necessarily relatable to everybody but it's believable and it leads to one of the most spectacular scenes of the movie is that entire chase god yes. yeah they're trying to get away from the cops and you know they do the classic maneuver where the cops are the cars are on either side of them and slams on the brakes then they both sort of just like cross paths and flip in what is a fucking awesome shot that they got mad coverage of oh man they, i was how many cameras do you think five at least wow yeah that like <laughs> I, this is not a complaint by any means no but they like they took it like we're gonna do this shot we are going to get this shit from every possible angle we got and we're one gonna, shot at and it. we're gonna shoot it in slow motion yeah exactly and it's awesome and they use like all of those shots yeah this this it's film. one of those classic action movie things where they show the exact same thing from like six angles i don't mind it at all it's such an awesome stunt but to have that and then be like oh fuck like yeah our our protagonist they did it they got away and then to come up on the hill and have the helicopter come up it's like Fuck, man. <laughs> Fuck, how are they going to get out of this one? More like and, Rutger, how are they going to get out of this one? <laughs> I was just going to say uh, Rutger ex machina. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
blasting the helicopter out of the sky with a revolver. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> oh, man. Uh I love that part. And so quintessentially 80s. Loved well, it. Well, that's the thing, too, is, like, in this movie that a lot of it is is very, like, serious and kind of surreal and, like, this sort of uh, almost, like, biblical struggle between these, like, two figures. It does some fucking incredible action sequences. Man, yeah. if, if you could just... It does the balance perfectly well. If you could just, like, men in black, like, mind wipe everybody... And just re-release this in theaters now and play it up like it's an homage to the 80s. Folks would eat this film the fuck up and it would do better than it did. This movie like was fucking like, ahead of its Howard's time. Dead? What? What's here's, happening? Like I said, you'd have to you have to men in black mind wipe everybody first. But, and just, but like and completely erase Michael Howard's yeah, career. Which, which, <laughs> okay, not worth it. Here's Never mind. Vintage. I think <laughs> I think Jeremy Saulnier should remake this movie. Oh, dude, he would do it great. Yeah, I think oh, I his know. aesthetic would work super well for it. The guy did Green Room, Cleveland. In light of he Blue would. Ruin. I just why would you? I mean, there's no need to. Why would you this like? Movie. Yeah, not have Rutger Hauer in that lead role. They, oh, speaking of, there they is did. One. They did remake it and, with Sean Bean, like you made reference to earlier. Cleveland. Yeah, Weird. I saw the trailer for that, uh, and I was I was but a wee lad when when that film came out, and uh, yeah, I didn't know it was a remake at the same, time. Exactly, and uh, it didn't look very appealing to me. I didn't have that any interest in it. So it when you suggested we were Michael gonna watch Bay the Hitcher too. for the podcast, I was it like was, it was produced by Michael Bay? Yep. Was it the, really the remake. I didn't remember that? Interesting. Yeah. That's a film I will not be watching. Yeah, I'd I be, have not seen I'd it. I'd be curious to compare. I don't care. See, there's no <laughs> way it's there's no way it's gonna be as good as this one. Well, this is like, like what changes out. did they make? You, oh, no, it, there's it's not possible. It's they're gonna, more, they're gonna take it they're gonna take it from a sort of like higher concept character drama that it sort of is and it's it's a it's gonna be a fucking texas chainsaw style slasher film it's just the the cynic in me wants to know how badly they fucked it up you the know? thing is like, like, like sean Bean like is just so flat like or he he, he does like brooding very he does well stoicism extremely right well. but he he, needs, he doesn't do like madcap charisma mm-hmm. yeah which Rutger hauer has the thing is uh you mentioned that this movie shouldn't be remade and i think Actually, I disagree with that. I think this movie is a perfect example of a movie that should be remade, if only to carry on the torch and the legacy of it. Because I feel like in a lot of ways, this movie was forgotten to time. Um, sure. You know, it doesn't have the distribution it deserves. Give it a good Blu-ray you know, release, and I bet it'll it's, start getting some work. Yeah, and... A, you good, know, a good U.S. Blu-ray, Blu-ray yeah, release. Yeah, and the genre of this film carried on beyond it. But, you know, this is kind of the gold standard for that type of movie. Yeah. And I think it could easily be done super well today. I mean, the director of this film, I don't think I've seen anything else he's done. No, I haven't. This is the notable thing. But I'm sure if you gave it to a good director, you could do a lot of good. Well, see, here's you know what I you, you completely won me over. I, I think I think that's a that's a really sound argument. Here's and the I, thing. I agree. I really like that perspective. I don't think that this is a film that should be remade, but that doesn't mean. I would be opposed to somebody remaking it well. If there was a good remake of it, I wouldn't be like, fuck you, they shouldn't have remade this Yeah, movie. I mean, like, you could um, you could cast, like, I don't know, like, Jake Gyllenhaal or someone as, like, the... Well, that was gonna the, be my the, next the question. Or, uh, or that was gonna be my next question, specifically to Ben, since you brought it up. Ooh. Who would you cast in the John Ryder role? Ooh, that's a tough question. Jake Gyllenhaal, that's a good question. Jake Gyllenhaal that's, is not a bad one, actually. Yeah, um, I don't know if I would have thought about that. I, but I, considering... I considering his performance in Nightcrawler, yep. which is a you know amazing who movie. I would who I'd actually cast for it because I think it would be an interesting left turn, and I haven't seen him in enough lately. Would be Tim Roth. Oh man, Tim Roth probably would be he, good. He has in that this, kind of he? aged, grizzled face at this point in his career. He's pretty old now. Yeah, Tim Roth, what has he done? He's in all the Tarantino movies. He's Mister Orange in Reservoir Dogs. He's one of the the coffee shop burglars in Pulp Fiction. He's the doctor in Hateful Eight. Got it. Interesting. Yeah, Tim, Tim Roth. Would Interesting be, pull. 
Timber yeah. off would be a good one. And I think he would do a good job. It would be a, a task remaking this because I, I feel like the well, standard is extremely yeah, high. Yeah, the standard is extremely high. And I really feel like movies like this aren't quite made anymore in the same respect. You know, you have your art house directors every once in a while pulling out a great action horror movie. That's the thing. This this film really weirdly but effectively rides the line between what I would consider more like art house road movies like Tulane Blacktop or like uh, Badlands. I get a lot of Badlands vibes from this movie. Sure. That with like action to rival the early Mad Max films. Like car stunts and stuff. Oh, yeah, very Mad Max. Like, that's the thing. Mm -hmm. It's like Badlands meets Mad Max. It's so weird that this isn't a bigger movie. Like, I stumbled upon this movie completely by accident in college. I just wasn't aware of the existence of this movie. And I watched it, I'm like, this is fucking incredible. Why is this not considered among the horror classics of the 80s? I, I feel... Because it stands up. You've mentioned multiple times that this feels like a quintessential 80s movie in a yes. lot of ways. And in a, a weird way, like, I, I can see where you're coming from, but for me, this movie feels very 70s in structure oh you know no, as no, well I, as aesthetics well no that is true and i did i did I, start I by like framing it as like a 70s eastwood film and, and I, you well that's are, why that's why i cited movies like two lane blacktop and yeah. badlands i agree with you 100 mm -hmm. i think but also mad max by by referencing and... the 80s i meant i meant that it should be considered in the the, the pantheon in, yeah, in the yeah. pantheon of like 80s horror yeah. classics yeah i, but I would it totally does, agree it does very much feel like it tastes like the, like and, the film part, part of it too of the, is like the heavy synth sound the heavy synth scoring uh, and that was like, 70s too though like, that, in a lot of ways that is true um the one challenge if you were to remake this film it would be because it feels so of the 70s and 80s we have more technology now. That's the thing. Is so that's a, that I, is a I think, huge I think one of the big things to its advantage, even in the era that it's set in, is it is in rural Texas where like right. technology might be somewhat there, but not everyone really knows how to well, use the, it. You the know? thing is, is like a huge hurdle that this film would have to get over if it was remade is smartphones. A lot of the situations that take place in this film would be completely mitigated. Damn, having, no bars. <laughs> well, I, that's, they would have I mean, to do that. Rural Texas, you know, like, yeah, there's areas where you don't get any. Or, or dude, honestly, fucking, if you're going to remake this movie, send in like Australia or something. That would be or just, cool. Too. Or just like set it in the 80s. Or that. Yeah. You could just, like, just yeah, set just, it, just, just don't. as a period piece. <laughs> yeah. Um, It'd probably be better that way. But then uh, if you're going to remake a movie, I feel like there's some sort of obligation to to modernize it. Well, in that case, I would go. I would. If you're going to do a I, remake, I say, that's you also need to go. Really, what's the point? You need you know? to go whole ham one direction or the other. I would say, yeah, either like just ignore cell phones, you know, or have it set in a period piece film, or include it in your modernization of it and actually address that concern, you know, in your yeah, plot. Yeah, it would. You'd have to have something like the cell phones get broken or something, or or even like or... he uses cell phones. That's part of his being a fucking phantom. But I could see it being very bad, and I can he's already a, see how that that be done cringy, like in he's, a cringy way. And I'm yeah, I'm not saying I have an answer for how to do it right. He's I'm a saying it could be possible. Steve Jobs that owns well, see, all the, the iPhones. Oh, yeah. that's <laughs> I think if you were, I think if you were yeah. gonna modernize it. <laughs> you would have to skew it more towards, not completely, but skew it more towards realism in general. I don't think you'd be able to get away with Rutger Hauer's more uh, phantasmal antics, so to speak. I, I think that, that it would have to be a little bit more grounded than that. Uh, Man, phantasmal antics is a great name for a band. <laughs> True, but that also sort of feels like seventies. Have it be sort of more ethereal and uh, and surreal. You could always set it in the eighteen seventies. <laughs> <laughs> Howdy, partner! Can I can I hop up on your horse with you? <laughs> be you some sort of peddler, stranger? <laughs> um, <laughs> what are you doing out here on this lonesome road? <laughs> 
Yeah, fuck it. Just do that. Yeah. The Hitching Man. I guess I guess ultimately I would be on board with a remake if they did it right, but it's nothing that I'm looking out for because I just have, I just want to see this re-released in theaters movie. like it deserves it. Like it just, I, I just it would do it, so well now. I want it to get uh, a a nice uh US Blu-ray release. Mm-hmm. That's that's Please. the next step. Cuz like as a cult classic, like its status is is bona fide for sure. People who know about the movie love it, understandably. It's just I I think it's such a, a criminally overlooked film. I agree. It doesn't help that, you know, it didn't do great at the box office. It got critically middling to yeah, negative reviews. Time. I can see that. Yeah. And on 86 top of that, is a bat is a weird time for a it movie starred like this. C. Thomas Howell followed up this movie with maybe the most unwoke oh movie god. ever. Oh my god! You want you want to talk uh, about a big Soul old, Man? That's a big old yikes for me. Oh my god! If you that haven't trailer. heard of Soul Man? Oh, don't. Uh, Soul Man oh. is about <laughs> a white kid who. Can't afford Harvard, so he does blackface to get to get a scholarship. To get a scholarship, yep. it's and a movie so it's that C. Thomas happened. Howell in, in blackface. blackface and a bad wig. James Earl Jones is in it too, and no one on the crew or cast was like, "Hey, maybe this maybe is a bad idea. Do. Maybe this is the worst um, idea." And oh yeah, <laughs> man, yeah. I, uh, I I walked into the room and you'd already started playing the trailer, and I. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, if if that kind of thing gets sent to the wall, weird that don't C. Watch Thomas it. Howell's oh, career recovered from that because it did. Not he's now. Let that shit get out there. And, uh, yeah, but he's not like a like a I mean, he's an, not a big name, a big star. Hey, you know we're already canceling everybody on this podcast episode. <laughs> oh yeah, let's go ahead and cancel C. Thomas Howell oh, yeah. too. Get him out of here. Yeah, get and him honestly, <laughs> cancel Rutger Hauer too because he's foreign. Oh, I thought you were going to say because he's dead. <laughs> oh, damn. He did kind of get canceled from life. <laughs> life canceled. Fuck, dude. Oh, yeah. no, I can't even say that. That's but too sad. Like, no, like, our legit R.I.P. Yeah, yeah. Roger Howard. Like, that that you, is you, why I picked this movie is because... Uh, he will not be lost like tears in the rain. Oh, man. You know? No. He, he, he is an idol of mine. To all, all jokes aside, uh, yeah, he's the the only notable actor to ever come out of the Netherlands. <laughs> so I I will cherish that man for the rest <laughs> of my days. I love this movie, and I'm I'm really glad that we got a chance to watch it. Do you want to rate? Yeah, just just wrap it up with the rating on there. Yeah, my appreciation for this movie just grows more every time I see it. I don't need to elaborate. Five out of five. Yeah, this is a gold standard for the cat and mouse thriller. Rucker Hauer gives my favorite performance in this film. Oh, yeah, uh, the best. One of the most iconic, you know, slasher villains, even though he doesn't have the figure of a Jason or a Freddy or the, you know, imagery that those carry. Rucker Hauer brings such a performance to it that he stands alongside those. I think this is like the pinnacle of action horror. Oh yeah. You know, in the the mixing of adrenaline filled action sequences with awesome stunts and practical effects with legitimate horror and like you mentioned earlier the aesthetic both with the dreamlike imagery, the uh, great cinematography and the really ethereal score. It just brings you to such a, an interesting place. And it's a daytime horror as well. Yeah, daytime horror. We were talking about in uh, our Midsummer episode, there's not enough of it. This is a five for me, obviously. No film is perfect, but this one is absolutely perfect for me. We need a t-shirt for you that says that. <laughs> you say that every time you give a movie five. Yeah, it's true every time I give a movie a five. It's, it's my uh, little catchphrase. That's why I said put it on a t-shirt. Oh, uh, you're right. That is that is what you do with catchphrases, isn't it? Yeah. I done fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> you can go ahead and hit the nut button, because this is another golden pod for another us. Another golden pod. Another golden pod. <laughs> Add it to that list, baby. Well deserved. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. the man, Rutger Hauer. Gone but not forgotten. Gone but not yeah. forgotten. There'll never be another. But uh, thank God we have his films. On that note, I think it's time for a word from our sponsor. 
Yeah. Last week, our episode was uh, too bloated for us to, to fit a sponsor in, so I, I made a promise that uh, this one would be particularly good. You know, I, I, I sure did work all week uh, trying to Did you write get the us? copy yourself? No, no, usually just to get us sent, a good okay, sponsor. I was going to say, usually it's uh, sent to us. Making phone calls, sending we gotta, emails. We got to make up the money you know, we missed last yeah, week. Just, yeah, just yeah, flipping yeah. through my Rolodex, just Wait, looking okay, for, so for since, all the sponsors. Uh, we didn't have any sponsor last week did you get two this week did you make uh, out oh fully? i don't know but yeah i guess i did because yeah yeah I, I sure yes or, and or do. did you or did you just uh, get one that gives us double the funds both actually you, you see the first sponsor is from uh fundy and doubler uh uh double your funds and run with the fun <laughs> and they their their goal is to uh, uh double your your sponsorship income oh cool that's so. a really good one to have so yeah. double bubbler boil and troubler triple your your funds and and run run with the fun that's, what a catchphrase they, they got it down packed man it's you just can't forget it you know even even after just saying it it's amazing sure? can you repeat it for me yeah um fun doubling bubble buns uh have have fun and run <laughs> that, that was is, it that is what the copy says actually yep every iteration um uh and then our other sponsor is uh brought to you our sponsor is brought to you by uh toe and go Sponsorshippers, and they their job is to bring you sponsors. So our our two sponsors this week are both uh, both have built their companies up, funnily enough, around sponsorship aid. Man, talk about brand synergy. Yeah, well, it's kind of problematic because the first ones double your income from sponsors, and then the second ones bring sponsors to you. But and we signed a deal with them, uh, and I should have read the copy a little closely. I'm really sorry about that. But we signed a deal with them that uh, we wouldn't get any proceeds until we got an actual sponsor that they could bring to us and then double our funds for. But they didn't, so we actually have no sponsors this week, and it uh, it kind of all fell through. Cleveland, goddamn it! I, I'm really sorry, guys. I tried my best, but uh, we're we're just gonna have to go back out on the streets and beg for change. You dropped the ball uh, when the obvious answer would have been to pair these two sponsors with the already established sponsor shelf. Well, I tried, but uh, don't don't let the sponsor shelf hear this. But uh, the sponsor shelf hears all. They're a f- they well, they they said they were afraid of the shelf. And that they they couldn't afford what a afraid business. of the shelf? No, I would never. No, don't. Mm, mm, mm. I, no, I'm not afraid of the shelf. I mean, I'm I not love, either. Tease. I love I, the shelf. I too love the sponsor shelf, but they don't apparently. And who, uh, who wouldn't love the sponsor shelf? I don't I, know. Uh, everyone uh, loves I the mean, sponsor and, shelf. And besides, I mean, to fear is to love. And you know, do do we all not fear love the sponsor shelf? And, and we respect the sponsor shelf most importantly. And we worship the sponsor shelf. And we we obey all of its grand wishes. And, and we're thankful for the sponsor shelf. That's correct. That's correct, Tees. And uh, as for these uh, heretics, they 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 must be brought to justice by the sponsor shelf. So let us pick up our torches and our pickaxes and go after double bubble. Bubble trouble d- sponsorship doublers and uh, the the other one. Let's let's go get them. <laughs> let's do it. Fuck them. So I do have results for box Finalized office results for, for it. it chapter two. I won't really go into uh, Rotten Tomatoes. It's gone down two points to sixty four. Doesn't um, change anything. Yeah, no one's changed. Uh, so TC predicted one thirty. Uh, you predicted 170, Cleve, and yes. I predicted 82. Mm-hmm. Uh, box office weekend came in. It was 
91, 91 million. Damn. Didn't break 100 after it all. Did not break 100. Just for reference, uh, let me go ahead and bring up the That's first movie here. It is. It is. I, I was I'm pretty sure the first one did something like 135 million. The no, first movie opening weekend did 123 million. Quite a drop. A drop. You know, 30 million. So it's still making its money back, though, with oh, worldwide. Yeah. No, no, no. Know. It's still, it's still a, a very big opening weekend for a horror film in general. Uh, I actually expected it to do better than Same. the first one opening weekend because of the first one. Kind of a shame that's not, but uh, yeah, I guess that's another point for you, Ben. What are you, like, three ahead of us now? Yeah, I'm gaining a lead fast, boys. I think Cleveland and I are tied now, aren't we? Or am I still? Uh, I think you're in the lead by one. One ahead. Um, Uh, Our next prediction is three from hell, um, which we actually won't be covering for the show. Well, not um, not yet. We'll probably cover it when we can download it. It's getting it a really point. limited gonna, release. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have Three from Hell, Zombieland, and The Lighthouse within the next month or so. So Rad. anything can happen. Just for reference, too, uh, it was the number one R-rated horror release of all time. And It Chapter 2 is currently sitting at number nine wow. for R-rated horror movies. I actually would have expected it a little bit higher, but... Hmm. Good. Yeah. No, no, that's fine. Still that's, in top ten. That statistic is good. It got beaten out by Get Out and Us. I all mean, all films that deserve it more. Last year's, that's last totally year's Halloween beat it, too. You know? Yeah, all better films. Um, <laughs> as much as I do like the It movies. So, next week, we're moving on to uh, Cleveland's Choice. Yes, sir. And we're going to be talking about a film that we've never heard of. I got maybe 20 seconds into the trailer for it and shut it off because I knew I I would likely enjoy it. It is called Hagasusa. It is German. It's a German film. German. And it's about a Germanic, you know, small tribe or something. But I know that the director of The Witch praised it. And that a lot of the tag reviews for it, you know, make comparisons to The Witch. It's going to be cool. I'm I'm excited. I love that aesthetic. I hope so. And I didn't watch the trailer. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm going into knowing nothing. The 20 seconds of visuals I saw looked very good, and I'm, I'm really hoping. But... The reason I picked it is it's it's just it's on a it's on the a fairly broad list of the films that came out in the last uh, last ten years, and I just want to cover those before twenty twenty. You know, as many of those as I can, and they just look like something that I would enjoy thoroughly. So I'm definitely intrigued. A German version of The Witch does sound cool. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm, well, and I'm it, it's interesting. We'll get into this more with the episode, but we're starting to see a string of movies inspired by the atmosphere of The Witch, and this sounds like it'll be an example. So. Which is dope. <laughs> yeah, the, the more the merrier. Yeah, totally. Period piece horror films. Bring it on, please. So check back with us next week for a wild card, kind of, mm-hmm. um, and uh, hear our thoughts on Hagazusa. But until then, if you like the show and you like what we're doing and want to hear more episodes, then amble on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> you can also follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod um, for, you know, just random horror tomfoolery and uh also on letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash pod people pod for a list of all the films that we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to the reviews and you can also see our list of our perfect score golden pods uh of which the hitcher has just joined the list the hollowed halls yeah, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Van Awesome. I'm at Mr. Sheets. And I occasionally tweet for Light Arc Studio. And you can, of course, check out our delicious, amazing, macabre, delightful uh 
horror game. It stares back on Steam. Just give it a Google, it'll pop up and uh enjoy uh Got some exciting things in the works most definitely oh uh, man yeah we've been having some fun on you the can design also front. feel free to join our discord uh you can find that link on the uh, light arc studio twitter or uh lightarcstudio.com uh hop into the discord and say hi yeah. And uh, mention the show, and you'll, uh, the first person free to do so, give you a free key to the game. That's right. Do the thing, if you're so inclined. Yeah, I think that's just about everything for this week, boys. Thank you for the ride, and it's time for us to stick our thumbs back out and head on down the dusty trail. Yeah, don't forget to say those four words. I want to die. <laughs> <laughs>